Indeed, this is our Father's world. And the question, why should our hearts be sad, is a timely question. It's really a question that we could ponder daily as sooner or later we will, we will encounter something that will challenge our happiness. Jesus' disciples were challenging something that was, were challenged by something that was threatening their happiness. Jesus was telling them that he was about to leave, that for a time they would experience great sorrow, but after that they would be overjoyed. That was his message to him. To them before he spoke these words that I read to you this morning from the gospel according to John, the 16th chapter, beginning with verse 25. Jesus said, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but will tell you plainly of the Father. On that day you will ask in my name, I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father Himself loves you, because you have loved Me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and am going to the Father. His disciples said, Yes, now you are speaking plainly and not in any figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need to have anyone question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? The hour is coming. Indeed it has come. When you will be scattered, each one to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I've said this to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you face persecution, but take courage. I have conquered the world. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So last Friday I started, or yeah, started a vacation. I, you know, have you ever wondered what pastors do on vacation? We only work one day a week. Well, this pastor goes fishing or hunting. That's what I like to do on my vacations. And I have a friend that loves for me to come down. And I used to be his pastor, but now we're just really good friends. And he loves for me to come down and, and spend time with him and, and his family. And we hunt and and laugh and do those kinds of things that, that sometimes pastors don't get to do enough of. And so while I was on vacation, I did some hunting, and then I, I helped him clean up the building, that, a building that had been flooded three feet high inside the building, and it was horrible. And, you know, it kind of hurt my feelings for him, and I was glad that when he said, well, we can't hunt because i got work to do, I was glad I said, I'll come help you because I got to share in his grief and share his burden and remind him that he's not alone in it. But I did other things. I came back, and and Monday through Thursday, the other days I had, I I did some other hunting, and I did some reading, and I did some building of birdhouses that I was going to sell at the bazaar, I thought. (laughs) Yeah. Gave them things away. 
But I was happy to get to give them to people who had, who had made crafts for the bazaar and happy to get to give one to Billy Ann and to Julie who had worked so hard to make it happen and kind of thankful at that point that nobody bought them, you know what I mean? But during that other time, believe it or not, pastors think while they're on vacation. Would you believe that? And I, I was forced into doing some thinking about floods and how they impact people's lives and how those kinds of things sneak up on us. And I was forced by the news to think about Syria and the just absolute craziness that's going on in the Middle East. I was forced to think about Vladimir Putin, who some people say is kind of getting us involved in a proxy war by attacking the people that we're supporting. And I don't know if that's true, but that's what some people claim. And my heart was heavy to hear that we might be renewing our presence in Afghanistan and Iraq because that means that somebody's child is going to get sent overseas. And I was struggling thinking about 19 people shot and 10 killed. And the ones who were killed were killed because they said they were Christian at Umpqua Community College. And those things were on my mind as I sat in a deer stand and thought and prayed because that's what I like to do in the woods is think and pray. And my heart felt heavy for those people. And as I was thinking about all the crises that seem to be welling up in the world and the troubles that are going on, as I was thinking about people even here in our congregation who are taking care of people whose parents can't take care of them and people here who are struggling to take care of, of mothers and fathers and, and how we all are just wrapped up, it seems, in struggle. In some way or another, we have something in front of us that we know is hard. All of us. Whether it's learning to live without people that we've lost, or as Alan reminds us, learning to live without pets that we've lost. There's a lot of hurt in the world. There's almost too much to go around. And I felt heavy-hearted for a moment. And these sweet words of Jesus Christ fell on my mind. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. That's how what I read to you is translated in the New International Version, which is my favorite version for that verse and how I've memorized it over the years. But you might have it memorized in the King James where it says, "Take." he says, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. And we hear his words saying to us, don't let it get you down. Don't let it ruin all your joy. Don't let this world suck the joy and life out of you because I am joy and life. I've overcome the world. Our joy is not in the things of the world or in having peace in this world. Our joy is in having the peace of Christ. These words echo Jesus' those other words where he said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Trust me. Take heart. Take courage, as we just read. Be of good cheer, our Lord says to us. In the midst of storms and hurts, in the midst of sin, in the midst of death, our Lord says, I overcome it all for you. Be of good cheer. And I asked myself, how? How would I do that? 
in the face of so much hurt. I love those Lord of the Rings movies. And in one scene, in one of the movies, it's the last one, The Return of the King, the king of men is standing, watching over the battlefield, and he says to himself, what can men do against such reckless hate? It's a question for the ages. What can we do in the face of the reckless hate we see around the world? Jesus' answer seems to be, trust me. Take heart. Be of good cheer. I've overcome it. It sounds like a promise, doesn't it? The story is told of a man named Bob Teague. Bob was a correspondent for NBC TV. He was a reporter. He was one of those guys who went out and did crazy stuff and put it on the news so you could see that he did it, right? You know, those, like that little fella, Joe Cantor, that goes and stands in front of the hurricane. Somebody ought to send that boy a memo. You ain't got to get in the hurricane to report on it. But he gets right out there in the thing. Well, this guy was one of those kind of people, and he went to film a story about an Olympic archer named Daryl Pace. And Daryl was one out-of-this-world archer. A great athlete. And the guy was putting on an awesome show, shooting steel-tipped hunting arrows with just unbelievable accuracy. And the crowd was watching him doing it and watching him doing it. And that reporter had seen Daryl launch arrow after arrow after arrow into tight little tiny groups from 180 feet. And he was amazed by it. Absolutely amazed that he could do that. And then all of a sudden, Daryl Pace, the archer, asked for a volunteer. All he had to do, he said, is hold this apple. And he had an apple. I wish I had an apple, but I don't. He held an apple and he said, all you have to do is hold it in your hand waist high like this. Now, I'm sure that everybody standing there knew that Daryl was going to shoot that apple, right? Well, that correspondent stepped forward and said, I'll hold it. That reporter. And Pace walked 90 feet away. That's 30 yards. It's roughly the distance from me to Mr. Good. Y'all want to hold that apple? I don't. <laughs> I ain't seen that man shoot. But the reporter had seen him shoot. And he said, I'll hold it. And so he walks up and he holds that thing. And Daryl Pace drew back his bow and let that arrow go. And just thwack! It went right through the middle of the apple and busted the apple into pieces. Don't you imagine that reporter went, and was relieved. And that was the good news for him. And and he was probably ready to share that good news and to rush out and tell the world about what this man had done. But all of a sudden, his cameraman came up to him and he said, "Uh, Josh, I hate to tell you this, but we couldn't get it on camera. We're going to have to do it again. (laughs) The pastor that shared that story wrote this. He writes, As the crowd applauded, Howell, great relief was all smiles. Then his cameraman came up and said, I'm sorry, but I didn't get it. I had a problem with the viewfinder. Could you do it again? And he says, you don't need a lot of faith to hold an apple and let an archer blast it out of your hand. What you need is a very good archer. What do you think? That's what you need. When Daryl Pace was old enough to get his driver's license, he was already competing on the U.S. archery team. By the age of 18, he was a world champion archer and had 16 of the 20 archery records that are, that are accounted for. The reporter knew he was going to hit the apple, didn't he? There was no way he was not going to hit the apple. 
From 60 feet away, the man could group consecutive arrows into a bullseye no bigger than a quarter. He won six national archery championships along with two world titles and two Olympic gold medals. The archer knew, the guy holding the apple knew the archer could handle it, didn't he? No question. He didn't need faith to hold that apple. As the man says, as the pastor says, he needed a good archer. Our relationship with Jesus should not be centered on the size of our faith. How we respond to Jesus' promise that we can be of good cheer in the midst of all this world's horribleness should not be based on the size of our faith. It should be based on Christ. Just, just as a reporter was able to hold the apple, we can hold on in this world knowing that Christ truly has overcome. That's not based on faith. It's based on knowing Christ. This pastor said it this way. He said, look at it this way. I own a bow. At 90 feet, I can often hit the target and occasionally hit the bullseye, but I am erratic. So tell me, who is more likely to have his hand shattered by an arrow? A volunteer with an enormous faith in me or a volunteer with a tentative faith in Daryl Pace? The life of discipleship is not primarily about inventing gimmicks to boost our faith. It's not about looking to the faithfulness but it's about looking to the faithfulness of the one we place our faith in. This person, Marty Carr, wrote this. He said, I admire Josh Howell, the reporter. I admire his courage to hold that apple. But I'll tell you this. If Howell was not already acutely aware of the archer's awesome ability, he's not a model of faith. He's an idiot. How can we be at peace? How can we be of good cheer in the face of all our world's problems, our world's hell-bent desire for death and destruction? It amazes me that people can live in this world and see the beauty of it, see the goodness of it, see the goodness of children, the beauty of an infant's face, and desire nothing more than to destroy that. How do we be of good cheer in the midst of that? We can trust the archer. We can trust the one who calls us to be of good cheer. We can trust that Jesus can make this world right. Be of good cheer, he says to us this morning. I have overcome what you see. I've overcome sin. I've overcome death. I've overcome the horribleness that you see every day. I've overcome all of that for you. Be of good cheer. Don't let the world steal your joy. Steal your joy. We can remember Christ's promise that He's overcome this world. We can remember His goodness, His faithfulness, and the love that He demonstrated us on the cross. The love that He showed us by taking all of that misery on Himself. Taking our misery. We can hold on to one of my favorite promises in Scripture. It's found in Revelations 21. It reads like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, meaning chaos. There's no more chaos, the writer says. 
And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be His peoples and God Himself will be with them. And hear this, dear ones. Hear this if you don't hear anything else. He will wipe the tears from their eyes. The greatest promise in Scripture for us is that Jesus has overcome. And that one day, He will wipe the tears from our eyes. Plucking the hurts from our hearts and death will be no more. Mourning and crying will be no more. For the first things that were subject to sin and death will have passed away. And John of Patmos said, And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. I'll tell you how we can trust that Jesus has overcome. Search your own heart for those places where Christ has made you new. Search for those places where Christ has changed your affections. Where Christ has delivered you from your desire for the things of this world and called you to desire Him. Search your hearts for those places where there's gladness in you from knowing Christ. And know that He will be faithful to us to the end. We will face hurt. We will face hate. We will face sin. We will face death. We will face destruction. We will continually face calamity that's brought on by the self-centeredness of the human race. By our navel-gazing and our only thinking about ourselves all the time. Truly, if there's an American way, it's put yourself first. As we endure that and struggle against it and try to teach people the way of Christ, of putting others first, we can be of good cheer and celebrate the goodness that we know together because we see things happen like happened yesterday where a group of people made sure that other people will be able to eat and sleep in warm homes. We saw yesterday Christ overcoming the world. In the face of all the stench and sin and death that seems to fill every corner of our world, we can be of good cheer. Not because our faith is perfect. Not because our hope is perfect. Not because our faith is great. But because God is perfect. And because God is great. We can be of good cheer knowing that His promise is true. That one day He will wipe the tears from our eyes. And that all things will be made right. That everything will be made new. That sin and death and destruction will be removed from the world. And that when Christ comes, He will bring with Him the promised victory of love and joy and peace. Dear ones, let us hold on to those promises. And be of good cheer. As the shirt said yesterday, there is fun in church. There is fun in knowing Christ. There is goodness in knowing Christ. There is hope in knowing Christ. There is love in knowing Christ. Eternal life, Jesus said, is this, to know God and to know me. As we face all of that hurt and all of the horror that this world seems to dig up, we can be of good cheer knowing that Christ is at work to make it right. 
And we're part of that work. Give Him thanks and praise. And trust Him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.